Matthew 28. And the first, I'm just going to read the first phrase of chapter, verse 19, a phrase you know well. And I just want to talk to you about that again today, about this commission that the church has been given. And I want to emphasize, I, I know I'm taking a little bit of time with this and uh, because there are just some things here I feel like need to be emphasized in who we are. I, I have said this before, and I firmly believe it. There are, there are a lot of individuals today that are in an identity crisis. When you don't know your gender, you're in an identity crisis. When you don't know what bathroom to go to, you're in a heap of trouble. When one day you identify as male and the next day you identify as female and the next day you identify as something other than those two that's been invented. I don't know how many genders they say there are. They, I don't know, numerous genders, so to speak. Uh, they're not real. They're just created in men's mind. But people are in identity crisis. We never have seen such a high rate of suicide as we have now in America. It's growing crazy. And uh, America's in an identity crisis. We used to believe and understand when we particularly, particularly when we exited, it was before that, we saw it many ways, but when we exited World War II, this nation had a sense where it had risen among the powers of the world. Prime Minister Churchill stated about America, that a new nation had risen, that had become the greatest nation on earth. And he said, basically, I'm, I'm not quoting exactly, but from this day forward, every nation's going to have to deal with that nation, with the United States, with his prime minister of England. Because he recognized that in World War II, America had proven to be a giant. Her ability to, to wage warfare, her ability to mobilize, and her industry, and her productiveness, and producing the war machine we were able to put out so quickly and train men that became the best in their field on the battlefield. They topped ranks, and they defeated the war machine of Germany. I know it wasn't alone and credit is due to others, but I will tell you, had you taken America out of World War II, you'd have had a different result, majorly. And the kingdoms of the world recognized it. And there, there has been a sense with America that we, what we call the idea of America exceptionalism. Our past president didn't believe that. Our past president felt we should take our, our place among the beggars of the earth and, and the third world countries and we should strip ourselves of the wealth that God has given us and we should somehow uh, take our place in the obscurity and fade into the scene and, and, and just get rid of our wealth and spread it out to the world. That's suicide. And that's exactly what it was. It's committing national suicide. God raises up nations and he put them down. And he raised this nation up. It's not for us to be proud. It's not for us to be arrogant. It's for us to be grateful. But it's for us to be responsible for what God has given us. And the great blessings of God but a great responsibility to us. And we failed in that. And we are in identity crisis because we no longer believe in American exceptionalism. 
And the idea that God blessed us and God gave us what we have and God put us where we're at and we ought to honor him and we ought to glorify him. And this ought to be a home and a base for missionaries to be sent out to the world. That's not being arrogant. That's being real. It's being real. English-speaking people don't know how blessed they are. I travel the world. I know we've got more resources than any other language. We've got more resources to study the Bible. We've got more books than any other language that's out there. We don't realize how much we've been blessed. But it isn't just America. It's the church. We're in an identity crisis. And we've lost a sense of who we are. And sometimes why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. We're trying to compete with the world. We're trying to be this big church and kind of saw a little bit of that, experienced a little bit of that yesterday and, and the, the, the world that has creeped into the church that somehow that we want to be like them and so we have our, our rock music and we have our, our same uh, uh, things that they have and we can operate our churches like a theater and operate our churches like they are nothing more than a concert hall and, and we can draw the crowds and we can bring them in but we've lost the sense of what a church is supposed to be and folks that come together and maybe only have 50 or 60 people and they're singing traditional hymns and they're, and they're playing traditional music and they're, and they're listening to an hour or more of preaching on Sunday morning with our thought to be crazy we're loco and we don't know what it's all about. You're just a bunch of old timers trying to hang on to something that should have been let go a long time ago. I say, no, sir. I'm not hanging on to something. I know who I am. Oh, hallelujah. I know who God has made us. I know who the church is supposed to be. And we got to be reminded of who we are and what God called us to do in this world and not lose sight of that. He didn't call me to compete with that world. He called me to convict it. He didn't call me to go out and, and adore it. He called me to go out and show it what it is to live in the light right. of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So I want to I talk to you some more about this commission that we've been given. He said in Matthew 28 and 19, Go ye therefore, go ye therefore, and teach all nations. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations. Would you say Amen. You may be seated this morning. I've told you how so it still intrigues me, it awes me. How that this man, this God man, Jesus Christ, has just been given all power. He has been placed at the right hand of God. And he has been given authority over every human being, over every bug, over every monkey, over every plant and tree, every star, every moon, every planet, every particle, every atom, every angel, every devil. Everything that exists in creation, in heaven and earth, has been placed under the rule, the government, the authority, the sovereignty of this man, Christ Jesus. And his first order of business, his first declaration, is not to go down and correct the nations, 
It's not to go down and wage war. It's not to go take revenge upon all those who crucified him. But he said, I've got all power now. And he looks to this little band of disciples and says, I want you to go disciple the nations. I want you to go out and I want you to teach, which is the meaning of disciple. I want you to go make disciples of all of the nations. And that's this commission. And we're talking about that. We talked about several things. We were talking about some facts about this commission. The number one that we talked about was that it was a, uh, an active commission. He said, go. He didn't say wait. He said, go. He didn't say, let the world come to you. He said, you go to the world and you teach the nations. He didn't bring the nations to Jerusalem. He sent the church out from Jerusalem. At first they were there and all the nations were gathered, represented by Jews from various parts of the world. And they would hear the gospel. But then those folks uh, had spoken many languages from various places. The Holy Ghost moved upon them. And they began to go out into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. And you know that, that, that from the book of Acts. But we were talking about the second aspect that I just want to hone on a little bit here this morning again on Christ being on this idea of this discipleship and this commission that we have. It's an active commission, but it's a covenantal commission. It's a call to come into covenant with Jesus. He didn't tell us to go and make an audience. He didn't tell us to go and build an organization. He didn't tell us to go and make adherence. He didn't tell us to go and to go out and find people that'll follow your cause. And oh, or get up with the cause that you're doing and get caught up with that. He said, go make disciples. Go make disciples. Now, we told you that a disciple is, um, in its very basic meaning, is a learner, it's a student, a pupil that is in the school of a master. Typically, it simply means is the idea, and it, it was prevalent in that day, that you are a learner and you adopt the philosophy and the practices of your, of your master. And then you gain, you learn his teaching, you learn his practices, his philosophies, and then you apply them and put them into your life. And you learn him, you learn them so that you can be like him. And then you look forward maybe to a day when the, when the best of the class. The master will die and maybe the best of the class will will take up that place of the master and if he's able to, will even advance his teachings and take them further. He will lift the teachings of the master and take them to another level because he will learn from the master. But maybe his mind will be a little brighter. He will have some insights that the master doesn't have. And so the disciple himself will become a master and then he will have disciples and students and maybe some of his students will rise up and it is expected that the masters each one will bring them to a certain level, pass off the scene and then the students will advance the philosophies and and continue the teaching and the practices of this disciple or of this master. But for us, uh, though that's the basic meaning, it's a little bit different in the school of Christ. In the school of Christ, he is master and will always be master. You and I 
will never find that we will have an insight uh, from which he can learn. We will never arrive at a piece of knowledge uh, that we have something we can teach Christ. We are not looking for him to pass off the scene and us to take his place and that we can take his teaching and advance him. No, we're not going to do that. He's not going to pass off the scene. He is ever living. Oh, glory. He is ever living. He died, but he now lives forever. And we will ever be here to learn from the master Christ Jesus. But we understand that. We understand that he is the is the one that is here, but, but this idea of being in his class is not just the idea of being a student. It's not just the idea of learning his philosophies. We're not here to merely advance the teachings of Christ. We're not here to merely advance a, a philosophy of life or a religious lifestyle. We are not here just to get folks to adopt a certain culture. We're not here to get folks to adopt certain practices because it's not the adoption of a practice that makes you a Christian. It's not the reception into a culture that makes you a Christian. It's not merely a change of your ways that make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that uh, which brings you into union with the Master. It is an experience uh, whereby the Spirit of God uh, reaches into your being uh, and comes and cleanses your heart uh, from sin uh, and writes there the Word of God uh, and makes within you a new heart uh, and then makes your body and your spirit and soul His dwelling place uh, and then teaches you the things of Christ. And so it becomes not merely me learning of Christ and trying to imitate him, but it becomes Christ now by his spirit living in me. And it becomes the master. Though he's invisible to the world, he is visible in the church. Though he himself is not seen by the mortal eye, yet he is seen in the lives of his people, of his disciples, of the church that has been united with him. So that we are members of his his body. We are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. And we are members of the body of Christ. We are the visible expression of Christ in this world. And he is being seen through the operation and through the activity and the life of the church. I want to talk a little bit about this business of covenant. Here's where I think what I was talking about earlier, you may un, not, you may wonder why my first comments I made, what they have to do with this message. Because today, too many folks in the Christian arena have no clue what it is to be a Christian. And there are many, many folks who consider themselves to be Christian, but they don't have any idea what it's really all about, and they're not Christian. They're not Christian in one, whatsoever. Now, folks get upset when you say that. But you know what? There's certain things that just betray them. Now, if I go when I first came here to uh, eastern North Carolina and you talk to me, it wouldn't have taken, I could have said, well, I'm from Washington, North Carolina. But if you talked to me for a little while, you would have found out and said, you ain't from around here, are you? Because I didn't talk like an Eastern North Carolinian. 
I didn't speak like they did. That's a little harder now because I talk a little bit more like them and I've been around them a little bit more and I've had that influence in my life. But uh, I talked like more like a northerner because that's who I was. I was from West Virginia. And, and so though I claimed to be an Eastern North Carolinian, my speech betrayed me. Yeah, my talk betrayed me so that my confession was one thing, but my, the reality in my life was something different. And there are a lot of folks that are living in the culture of Christianity, but they don't know the Christ of Christianity. They are living in the arena where Christ can be known, but they do not know him. They sing about him. They speak about him. They are acquainted with his ways. They are acquainted with his work, but they do not have a covenantal relationship with this Christ who is to be the master of our lives. Oh, yes. I will tell you that we need a shepherd. We need a leader. From the beginning of time, man was never meant to be placed in this world and left to himself. He was never meant to be his own boss and his own leader. God put him here, but God expected the man to look to God and trust God to lead him and to guide him. And every time man gets in a mess, we see God reach him down and taking him by the hand and leading him out of the mess. He had to lead Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He had to lead Israel out of Egypt land. He had to lead us out of our sin. He had to lead them out of Babylon. Oh, our problem is, is after he's led us out, we kind of say, okay, God, I can take it from here. And then we get back in our same mess and get back in our same trouble. And here's that God reaching down in his mercy and taking us by the hand and saying, if you just learn to let me be the shepherd of your life, if you just learn to let me be the leader of your life, then I can take you where you need to go. Amen. Now this business of covenant, I wanted to say a few things. Just talk about it a moment this morning. This covenantal relationship because the relationship with we have with Christ as disciple and master is different than it was with them in, 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 in the ordinary times in which Christ lived. They were nothing more than a student and a pupil, one man trying to be like another man, one man advancing the causes and philosophies of another. But we are not men uh, advancing the cause of a mere man. We have been brought into union and covenant with Christ. Now understand again, you can't be a Christian unless you know Jesus. It's that simple. All right, there's something in this day. You've got to be brought into union with him. There has to be an experience in your life where you enter into covenant with Christ. And when you enter into covenant with Christ, there's all kinds of language in the scripture. Scripture describes it various ways. He talks about therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God. Oh, whereby we also have access into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Oh, he talks about it in John 3 and he says, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He said you need to be born from above. He talks about it as being regenerated. 
separated. In 2 Corinthians 5, he said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away and all things are become new. It becomes this transformation. You were in sin, but now you are washed. But now you're sanctified. Now you're justified by the Spirit. Hallelujah. By the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been brought into communion. He says in Romans 6, know ye not that as many of us have been baptized into Christ. He talks about we've been baptized into his death. We have put on Christ. Galatians says as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ so that our relationship is described not in the sense of just a student and a teacher, not in the sense of just a classroom where we go to the educational institution of Jesus Christ, but no, we're not just imitators. We are those who have been brought into union. We can say we are crucified with him. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not us, but Christ lives in us. We can make that statement that we have been born from above and that he is ours and we are his. We can make the statement in 1 Corinthians 6 that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Hallelujah. And your body is not for fornication, but it's for the Lord. We are members of him. We partake of the bread and the body of Jesus Christ, of the flesh and the blood of our Lord. We have eaten the bread that comes from heaven. We have partaken of the light, and his life is in us. We have been united with the Lord Jesus Christ. The union of a man and a woman in covenant is an undeniable and unforgettable experience. When a man has relationships with a woman, and particularly in the covenant of marriage, but it becomes one flesh, when a man and a woman are joined together in an intimate union so that they become one flesh, it is a life changing experience. That's why so many folks are confused today because they've become one flesh with so many. They've joined themselves to so many that it's warped their personality. It's warped their identity. And they don't know who they are because they haven't they've tried to enter into physical relationships with so many people that it's just made them in some sense that they're all disjointed and, and they're being pulled this way and that way and then they become numb almost and life has no meaning and it just becomes, they become robotic and mechanical in, in their life. But I'm telling you that if I could put it across, I want you to know it, that when you get saved, it's real, it's tangible, it's a crisis, it's an experience, it's that which Christ comes to live and dwell. The Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are now the child of God and if that doesn't happen you've not gotten saved if you've not been born from above you did not get saved I don't care how many hymns you sing I don't care how often you pay your tithes I don't care how faithful you are to attend the meetings of the church apart from that covenant relationship with Christ you cannot be a Christian you cannot be saved and you've got to live your life in the midst of that covenant 
Help me, Lord. Now, let's just let's look at that just a moment. This covenant that Christ has made. God made covenant. First covenant we hear of, of course, there was Adam and Eve and their covenant. God was a part of that. That was a covenantal relationship that God made with man. He placed the earth under man's dominion. He made man in his own image and likeness and said, let him have dominion over the earth and over the animals and the beasts of the field and the, the fowl of the air and the fishes of the sea, all of that. And they were to have dominion. And God was party to that. God didn't give the earth to Adam and then leave Adam alone. No, he expected, he was a party of that covenant and that God intended for this earth to be under the dominion of man. He did. And he's kept that covenant. Amen. He had to send us another Adam to get it done, but he's kept that covenant, and this earth is under the rule of the one God-man. When Christ ascended to the right hand of God, it was a restoration of the original plan and agreement of God. That Adam, that first Adam failed, the last Adam has accomplished. Where the first Adam brought death, the the last Adam has brought life. Where the first Adam plunged us into sin, the last Adam brought us back unto righteous rule of God. And that now the earth has now been placed under the man Christ Jesus. Glory to God who rules and reigns. He who was the very image came to be made in the image of God. He who was very God came to be made in the image of God and be made man. And he exalted that place of manhood and God lifted him up and placed him at the right hand, of, at his own right hand, and set him above all principalities and powers in heavenly places, and there he reigns. The covenant was kept. God kept his agreement, and he found a man that would keep it. He made covenant with Noah. He made covenant with Abraham. Told Abraham he'd give him a seed, give him a son. He gave him all the multiply seed like the sand of the sea. And then he comes down one day and he brings a nation out. I want to look a moment at that covenant. He brought the nation of Israel out and he brought them out to the wilderness. And one day he came down on the mountain and the Bible said that he, you know how he thundered and he shook the mountain and he trembled and he uttered those words. We made the short form of it, but that is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. All six days shalt thou labor. The seventh day shall be a day of rest. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. He talks about that thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not bear false witness and thou shalt not covet. All of those things he spoke but because why? What was the foundation of that? He says, I am the Lord God that brought you out of Egypt and I'm entering into covenant. I want you to know the gods of Pharaoh didn't bring you out of Egypt. I want you to know Pharaoh tried to keep you in Egypt. You have liberty because I'm your God. You've got liberty because I reached my hand down and I broke your enslavement. I killed your taskmasters. I brought judgment upon those that enslaved you and you're here today as a liberated people because I'm your God, because I'm your Lord. And today, I don't want this to be a surface relationship. I don't want this to be a thank you, God, and you go on your way. I want you to know now you're mine. You belong to me. I bought you. I bought you out. I liberated you. And I'm going to enter into covenant with you today. 
The covenant was expressed in ten laws. The Ten Commandments was the covenant. It was placed in writing. All of the other laws essentially flow out of those ten. Everything. The foundation of the covenant. And God takes that covenant and he writes it on stone with his own finger. He puts it on tables. And he writes it down with his own finger. There's the table on the left which has the first four commandments. And the table on the right or however they would be will have the next six dealing with their relationship with God and their relationship with man. And then he takes this covenant and he says, this is the covenant. Now, if you keep this, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. You're not going to belong to anybody else. And I'm not going to give myself to someone like you. He chose Israel like he didn't chose anybody else. Let me tell you, America is not Israel. All right, understand that. No, sir. God can raise us up and we can have a special place. But there is no nation upon the earth that will take the place of national Israel. That Israel, that nation has been given a place in the economy of God, a relationship with God that is unique. God entered into covenant when he brought them out of the wilderness, out of the land of Egypt and he made a covenant with those people and I'm telling you, he's not going to back up on that covenant. Oh, glory. He is coming back and they're going to one day see he is the king of glory. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our hope for Messiah and he will elevate that nation to the place that he had had for her in the beginning. Now, a couple of things I want you to understand about covenant. This idea of covenant, covenant is number one, based on sacrifice. Even on that day, sacrifices were made and the mountain and there were things that's going to be offered up unto God. Anytime man approaches God and covenant is made, there has to be a sacrifice. There's blood that is shed and in the midst of that shedding and sacrifice, there's a covenant made. We explained it in a message some time ago in Genesis 15. Whenever Abraham made covenant with God, God told him to take certain animals and he, he split some of them in two. One he let whole, but he split them in two and he laid the halves. He laid the halves out uh, and all day long he kept the buzzards off of it. Uh, and then at the night time, when the night came uh, and darkness descended upon it, uh, buzzards aren't going around then, you ain't got to worry about it. Uh, and the Bible said that God came uh, in the midst of that night in that, in that he was like a, a torch, uh, like a burning lamp. Uh, and he walked between those pieces all day long. There had been Abraham in the midst of those sacrifices dwelling there, in the midst of those, those divided sacrifices driving the buzzards away and saying you're not going to get them. I don't know, God told me to make them and you ain't getting a bite of them. And he'd drive them away, wouldn't let them get close. And then in the nighttime, when I said Moses, I meant Abraham. If I said Moses, forgive me, but Abraham. And Abraham is there. He is, is at the end of that day he's no doubt he's tired but then God comes down and like a smoking lamp in a burning furnace all of a sudden it's dark you can't see the buzzards and you can't see anything else and God illuminates that sacrifice oh glory he lights it up with his presence and the only thing Abraham can now see is a sacrifice has been made and I want you to focus on that something that was one has been divided to become two so that you and I Abraham can become one 
Oh, and God lit up that sacrifice. I'm telling you there was a day in the darkness of your life when you couldn't see anything. You were left in the darkness. But God illuminated and he set a lighthouse on a place called Mount Calvary. And on that place he illuminated the cross. And there, those who had been one, father and son, experience a division and a separation. And he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he became divided and separated so that you and I can become united with the God of heaven. And it wasn't based on our works. It wasn't based on our goodness. It wasn't rooted in our intelligence. It was rooted in the life-giving blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Glory to the Lamb of God. That's why marriages aren't working today. Because they're not based on sacrifice. What you don't see is that in a marriage, we saw it yesterday. The only way that marriage is going to be is if Philip dies to Philip and Heather dies to Heather. So that Philip and Heather can now be one flesh. And they are now not merely two people sharing a common house or a common bed. There are two people who have become one who now share a common destiny, a common goal, a common purpose. Yes. Ought to share a common mind. They should share a common judgment. They should share a common spirit. Yes. And that they both want the same thing, the glory of God in their home. I'm telling you, whenever a marriage is based on selfishness, it is doomed for, uh, for failure and destruction. But if you base it on sacrifice, yes. when I got in this thing, I forsake everybody else for her and her alone. I'm now giving myself under her and it's not about my rights it's about my responsibility it's not about what she can do for me it's about what I can do for her it's not about what I can get out of the marriage it's about what I can put into it glory to God hallelujah and Christ died for us so that you and I can come into covenantal relationship we don't talk about that to us it's just she died to forgive us of our sins he died. He died so that God could make a covenant with you. He died so that you could be reconciled to God and he could bring you into harmony. That you and God will now have the same goals. That you and God will now walk hand in hand. You will walk in the light as he is in the light. You will live in his presence and you will honor him. And your one chief aim and purpose of life will, bring, will be to bring him glory and to bring him honor. Yes, sir. That's the way it was supposed to be in a marriage. Proverbs 31. The woman was to so a virtuous woman, would so live her life. Not so that so much she was praised, but her husband was known in the gates. Oh, yes, they would look at her husband and say, what a blessed man you are to have that kind of a wife. In other words, the activity of the wife brought glory to 
to her husband and his credibility, his reputation, his blessedness, uh, his glory was recognized and exalted in the gate uh, because his wife uh, was the one that brought him honor. He didn't have to worry about her wasting his goods. Uh, he didn't have to worry about her talking about him behind his back. Uh, he didn't have to worry about her shaming him by being lazy and spending and uh, being a spendthrift and wasting. She brought honor. How much more for us uh, who have been saved uh, and brought into union oh, with Jesus right. Christ uh, that we're here to bring him glory. We're not here to bring honor to us, uh, but we're here to bring honor to the husband. Oh, hallelujah. He doesn't just sit in the gate. He's over the gate. He doesn't just sit among the elders. He's the chief elder. He doesn't just sit among the kings. He's the king of kings. He doesn't just sit in the lords. He's the Lord of all lords. And our conduct, our character is to bring honor unto him. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God, Holy Ghost. Woo, hallelujah. We got a church world that's concerned with self-honor. We got a church world that's caught up with appeasement of the world and self-gratification. And we have no concept. We think uh, that if we sing a song and it mentions the name of Jesus, we glorify him. We think that Christ is glorified because we can win a Grammy or we can get a Dove Award. We think that Christ is glorified whenever we're exalted. No, sir. He's glorified when he's exalted. He's glorified when I'm humbled. He's glorified when I give my life in such a way that people look and say, God be praised for the yeah, character of that man. Amen. Ooh, hallelujah. Now just hang with me a moment. Covenant is based on sacrifice, giving. Covenant is also that again which brings two together to become one. And even in the marriage covenant, there is always one party that is chosen as the leader. The marriage covenant doesn't stand on a, in something that expresses equality of the sexes or quality of roles in reference to the humanity and dignity of personhood. Men and women are equal, fully equal fully equal before God in that they have the same right of access to his throne, yes. same salvation, same grace, same Holy Ghost, right. same sanctification, same blessing, same love. There is no male or female, Jew or Greek, bond or free in, in that reference, from that respect, but relative to responsibility, relative to roles, there is a, uh, an order in the covenant. And in the marriage covenant, the man is made the head of the woman. Not in that he's above the woman. Not that he's better than the woman. Not that he has, holds a place in which he is superior. No, it has none of that. That's a worldly mindset. It is that he has a greater responsibility. He has the responsibility to lead the home. He has the responsibility of making sure primarily a covenant is intact. Both parties must give all. But let this man upon him rests the primary responsibility of being the one who will make the greater sacrifice in order to make certain that that marriage remains intact. I will tell you right now when you got married to Christ and we entered into covenant with God I will tell you that he does far more in this thing than you do. I will tell you he bears a greater load than you do. When we have failed he has been there to pick us up. When we were weak he was there to make us strong. When we 
is the weaker vessel. We're fragile. We were beat up by the storms of life. He comes like the knight in shining armor. He comes like the strong man. And he comes and delivers us from the hand of our enemy. He is our provider. He is our protector. He is our purifier. He is the Lord of the house. in covenant with a wimp. I didn't marry some self-centered husband. I'm in covenant with one who died for me. I'm in covenant with one who loves me. You don't see that. When you got saved, now your life is connected to his. When you got saved, now your activity is connected to his. Now your actions are going to reflect on his, uh, his reputation. Now what you do is going to impact the opinion the men of this world hold of Christ. And the opinion that the world holds of Christ is going to depend upon the activities and upon the appearances and upon the attitudes of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot divorce yourself from Christ and think that you can live your own way and have his forgiveness and go to heaven. No, he's preparing a place. He's preparing a place. He's preparing a place for those who love him. Hallelujah. Christianity's come we just get our ticket to heaven we get our sins forgiven and we go out and repeat them well we're all sinners that's right and he came to save us so we wouldn't all have to be sinners came to make a saint out of you hallelujah Glory to God. What I want you to see is that we want to take and divorce ourselves from that covenant and that. Well, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. I'm just living this life. And, well, it's the way it is in this life. You just, you know, do the best you can. But basically, there's no requirements. In other words, it's not like our marriages. No boundaries. No identities. America's been a, a, a nation inundated with Christianity. And in this nation, the rule was when you get married, the wife takes the husband's name. She is no longer identified by her father. She's identified by her husband. When she came in the world, she had her father's name. When she gets married... She leaves that name to take the name of her husband. I'm going to tell you right now, when you get saved, you take the name of Jesus, all right? You're attached to it. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. You're identified by it. Oh, you don't take him. We got that idea today in marriage. Well, I'm keeping my name. I ain't taking any man's name. I might share his bed. I might share his table. I might share his car. But he, I ain't giving. I ain't going to be identified by him. I still got my career. I still got my life. I still got the way. I'm. That's what we've done in Christianity today. And the marriages in society are a reflection of our sense and our sense of how we view Christ. We need to return back if we want our marriages to rise. 
above the degradation they have in this hour. It's time for you and I to understand. I am the servant of the Lord. I am the bride of Christ. I've got his name. I bear his name. And I go forth into this world. I am tied to the reputation, to the power, to the identity, to the nature of Jesus Christ. I have been united with him. In the covenantal relationship, there's one chosen, there's one that takes lead. God brought Adam and Eve together. God took the lead in making the covenant with Noah. God took the lead in making the covenant with Abraham. And in the marriage relationship, the biblical precedent is the man takes the lead and finds the wife. It's not wives searching for husbands, it's husbands searching for wives. And in this covenant, God took the lead. You wouldn't be here if he hadn't found you. You weren't even looking when he found you. Oh, brother, I was searching for something. But the reason you were searching is you got stirred up because he'd already knew where you were. He'd already been knocking on the door. Yes, sir. But I'm going to tell you, for a long time, you lived your life the way you wanted to live it. You weren't concerned about God and concerned about any relationship with him. But I'll tell you, he took the initiative and says, I'm going to enter into covenant. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I call you to come and be saved and be a part of this covenant. And I want to live with you. Now see for a moment, so there's this leader. In this covenantal relationship we have with Christ, we are not mere imitators. We have been transformed into his image. And we're followers, but it's more than even a follower. Inside we have been changed. Our very nature has been transformed. Our minds have been renewed. Our hearts have been changed. And we are not who we used to be. Right. Oh, help me, Lord, here this morning. So, there's that aspect of covenant. One taking the lead and making this covenant, identifying this relationship, and now that leadership provided. Now, I'm going to try to bring a few more ideas together here. This covenant would come with certain promises. There were certain conditions that were made part of the covenant. God gave them laws in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments were the expression of His covenant. That was His covenant. I'm your God. This is who I am. You can't have any others. The kind of God I am is I'm a holy God. And so therefore you can't use my name in any way that's lighthearted or vain or fruitless or, or profitless. Don't you take my name lightly. I'm a God that is spirit, so don't make any images, all right? I'm a God that created you and give you rest. I'm a God to whom you work, but I'm a God that gives you rest. So you remember Sabbath day and you keep it holy. As to your relationships, I'm the God of all authority. So you kids honor your parents, all right? As to your marriages, no adultery. You be faithful in your covenants with one another. As to your relationship and treating your brothers right, you're not to kill those that are innocent. You don't destroy innocent blood because I'm a God of love. And he said, you 
no what? I'm the God that's generous in giving, so don't you steal. You recognize the rights and the property of others, and you have no right to steal. I'm a God of truth, so don't bear false witness. I'm a God that is an unselfish God, so you be happy with the God you have. And don't covet your neighbor's ox or your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's house. I'm a God that will take care of you. I'm a God that will see your needs are met. And you never have to worry about whether or not you'll be satisfied. Oh, you don't have to look over and worry about whether you're better or that nation over there is better. When you have me, you've got all you need. I am sufficient for you. And in God himself, he made a covenant and expressed it and said, keep my laws and you'll be my people. The life they would have would flow out of the keeping of that covenant. If they would keep those ten rules, their homes would be intact. Their nation would be blessed. Their courts would have justice. If they kept those rules, their parents would honor their, or their children would honor their parents and their elders. There'd be no idols in the land. There'd be no pestilence in the land. There'd be no judgment in the land. It'd be a land of blessing. It'd be a land of grace. It'd be a land of favor because they were in covenant with a God who was full of love, full of mercy, a God that was full of truth, a God that was holy, and they lived in fellowship with him. Well, Brother Woods, they failed because they couldn't keep it. That's not true. That's not true. God would be an absolute tyrant to call them to keep a covenant that they had no ability to keep. You tell me which one of the Ten Commandments is so hard that it can't be kept. I mean, how hard is it to not to make an idol? You know, how hard is it just to love God and keep Him? No, it wasn't that they couldn't. What happened was, is that when God came down, they got so afraid. His presence was so awesome and so powerful. They shook. But instead of humbling themselves, they kept their prideful hearts and they looked over at Moses and said, you go talk to him. And uh, whatever he says to you, you come tell us and then that's what we'll do. But basically they said on that day, they themselves in their response admitted that's not an unjust covenant. God's not asking too much. The Ten Commandments are not overkill. <laughs> it's not too much. No. They themselves says, it's good, we'll keep it. They said, we'll keep it. Now, they were fearful, Moses, you talk to him. And every saying he says to you, we'll do. But God looked to Moses and said, Moses, I really wish what they had said had come from their heart instead of, out of their mere feelings at the moment. He said, oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would keep my ways. 
Oh, yes. They recognize the covenant is just. They recognize the covenant is fair. They recognize the covenant is reasonable. And they said, yes, we will do that. But the emphasis was upon us, upon we. Paul would tell us in Romans, the reason they kept not the law was because they sought it not by faith, but as it was the law of works. They said, that's good. I can do that. But that's not how a covenant works. A covenant doesn't say, I see my responsibility. I'm going to do it. A covenant realizes, I'm going to look to the leader. I'm going to depend on him and say, I can do this by his grace. I can make it with his help. I'm going to live this life as he wants me to live it. They should have said, a God so great and just and fair would never ask of us an impossibility. So if that's the covenant, look at what he's done for us. Look at the provision. Look at how he brought us out of Egypt. Look how he destroyed our enemies. We never even lifted up a sword and Pharaoh's gone. We didn't shoot one arrow and our enemy is destroyed. <laughs> oh, he gives us water. He gives us bread. He can take care of us. What lack we? And he has revealed himself to us as he's not done to any other nations. What other nation is so great that has this God with him who comes as a pillar of fire, who comes as a pillar of cloud? Show me what nation has so great a laws and so great a God as this. They should have said that kind of God can be trusted. That kind of God is worthy of my faith. That kind of God is worthy of my devotion. That kind of God God is worthy of my love. And if they'd have given the love and the devotion to God, they wouldn't even have to worry about the Ten Commandments. They would have done it. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And if you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll obey the commandments of God. He promised him. And with that covenant comes promises. There's a promise of certain things. I'll make you a fruitful nation. Keep this covenant and I'll bless your field. You'll be blessed in going out and coming in. I'll bless the fruit of your womb. I'll bless your households. You'll be the talk of the nations. You won't be the servant, you'll be the master. You won't be the tail, you'll be the head. Oh yes, you'll be blessed in the city, you'll be blessed in the country. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter where you're at, my hand will be upon you because I'm your God and I want the nations of the world to see what a blessing it is to have me as your God. Oh yes, and there you'll be sought out. Oh yes, you'll be a nation that'll be sought out of other nations. But we know they failed to keep it. But there were promises that were made and the promises did not come to pass in many times because they failed to keep covenant and they broke relationship with God. But I'm going to tell you, and God said he come along in this New Testament and he said, I'm going to do something. Ezekiel talked about it and he said, there's a day coming when I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Oh, glory. He said, the old is going to pass away and this time he doesn't come down like lightning. This time uh, he doesn't come down like thunder. This time he doesn't come down with fire on top of a mountain. Uh, this time he comes down uh, to a little place called Bethlehem uh, and becomes a baby. Oh yes, uh, in the womb of Mary and he is born in Bethlehem. This time uh, there'll be no thunder from the Mount Horeb but there will be a cry from Mount Calvary. Oh glory to the Lamb of God. There'll be a mountain but it won't be 
a mountain of fire. It'll be a mountain of sacrifice. It won't be a mountain where the voice of God thunders. It'll be a mountain where the mercy of God reigns and the love of God flows down unto mankind. Glory to the Lamb of God. And he says, I'm going to take my law and I'm going to write it in my hearts, in their hearts. When he made that first covenant, he took the law and he wrote it down in stone. It was called the tables of the covenant. He took it and he put it in a box and that was called the ark of the covenant because it will contain the commandments of the covenant. And he will be represented in Israel through that box. There, as the blood is smeared on the top of that box where the cherubim, cherubim are hovering over and their wings are touching, the lid was called the mercy seat. It was nothing more than the lid of the box. And the very capstone of that box inside are the commandments. And inside there or, or, or beside it right there are the commandments of God written upon stone. And then the capstone with covered by blood indicating that God has covered the violations of that commandment. He has covered the violations of that covenant that had been made. So that when they break covenant they can be reconciled. So that when they violate it there is a means by which they can come back to God. They come back to that Ark of the Covenant. When they break the commandments of the covenant, they can come back to that Ark. And there the blood shed on that and spread upon that Ark. We will atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. Every day or every year, once a year, the high priest will go in with blood and he sprinkles it over that mercy seat on the lid of that box. And they are reminded they're a covenant-keeping people. They're a God-giving people. And they've got an identity. And there they are in the covenant presence of God. God says, I'm going to do something different. Not so much different, but something greater. I'm going to take from them and I'm going to pull out of them their hearts of stone. Their hearts have become just like that rock I chiseled my commandments on. And God's not going to put chiseling on a rock anymore. It's just the letter, and the letter killeth. The law came, and they saw how sinful they were. But it never seemed to turn them, because they wouldn't repent and turn to that law. When they heard that law the first time, I'm going to tell you what was going through their mind. They said, it's right, it's reasonable. Let me tell you what else is going through their mind. We've sinned. Thou shalt not steal. There's a whole pile of them that have done that. There's a whole pile of those folks that have been unfaithful. There's a whole bunch of killing that have been on among them. Yes, sir. Oh, there's folks that worshiped idols. Yes, sir. Oh, yes. They hadn't kept the Sabbath down in, in, uh, in Egypt, that's for sure. But I will tell you right now, now they, they come and God says, I'm going to reach him. I'm going to snatch out that heart of stone. And I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. I'm not going to make it something that's dead. I'm going to make it something that's living. And I'm going to write my law there. Glory to God. I'm going to take those same commandments, but I'm not going to put them down on stone so they're just something for exile. 
exhibition. I'm going to put them in a heart of flesh, which means this. They are no longer going to be something outside the man that he looks at and tries to obey. They're going to be something that's inside the man that's going to be made a part of his nature. Oh, glory. I'm going to shed abroad in his heart my love. And when my love has been shed abroad in his heart, love will fulfill the law. And the love that I place in his heart will cause the word to be written upon it and he will keep my law not because he is made not because he's forced not because he's afraid but because I'm in covenant relationship and I'm living with him on a daily basis Amen. and our covenant came with some promises He promised Abraham a land. <laughs> and he promised us a life. Woo, glory. The Bible said he'd given us the promise of eternal life. Oh, yes. That's a life. It's been promised since the world began. And that's the promise that's fulfilled in our covenant. The commandment came and it brought death. But the spirit came and it brought life. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. The law came and sin abounded. But grace came and righteousness reigned. Glory to the Lamb of God. The law came and men were found to be in bondage. But grace came and brought us liberty. We have a promise of life. God has brought us into a covenant that gives us life. He said, I'm going to send you the promise of my father. This covenant brings the promise of the spirit. It's a promise that says that you and I are going to become recipients. We've got to get back to this. Yes. Just, just hang with me just a few seconds. You can listen to me once today, all right? Listen, this covenant has got promises. It ought to be the case. Men fail. But in a marriage, a faithful wife ought to be able to look in the eyes of her husband and expect leadership. Expect trust. Expect care. Compassion. I know the earthly fails. I understand that. It doesn't have to, but they do. But there is a sense that she looks... She's done her part. And there is in marriage an expectation. You focus on your responsibility, but inevitably, you've entered into covenant. There's two parties there. And there's an expectation you expect to be loved. You expect to be trusted. You expect to be cared for. You expect to be treated with respect. You expect to be treated honorably. You can't avoid that. How much more? I'm going to tell you when you have sought, when you've obeyed, Brother Ross, when you have done the will of God. Can I tell you, you don't have to worry. You can look under the husband Christ and know something. He will keep his promise. He promised me life. Well, like now, I feel like I just can't seem to make it. It's all right. 
not. I got a promise in his covenant. Glory to the Lamb of God. He said that he came to give me life and life more abundantly. Whenever I feel like the life out of me is flowing away, whenever I feel like I'm being drained, whenever I feel like I'm being sucked dry, I can look under the giver of life. He will infuse life. Though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. dried up dead saint. You ain't got to go around with your molly grubs and say, I just can't make it. I'm done. And life is too bad. You got a promise in this covenant. You got somebody to walk with you. You got somebody who's the hope of life and the hope of glory. And his name is Jesus. That's not being arrogant. I stood over there leaned against the wall in that little cubicle in outpatient surgery my wife is laying in the bed ready to pass out and they're pumping fluids into her three or four nurses around her her feet's been elevated and her head is pointed down and they're talking to her Every once in a while, I'd get over and say, baby, hang on, stay with me. I feel like I'm going to pass out. I could hear the weakness in the voice. I could hear the fear, the, the, the sense of what's happening here, what's going on. My, my body, I, I'm ready to, I'm sick. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I stood there and I leaned against that wall. I'm talking to God. I'm crying out to him. God is, and all that fear that wants to come under over me. But I look and I say, God, I expect. I expect you to take care of me. I placed my wife in your hands. And my expectation is, is you will not fail. We can have expectations of God. That's not some proud, arrogant feeling of demanding him. It is based in the covenant that I'm in. Hallelujah. That's right. I'm in the covenant. And that book expresses the promises of God to me. And I can take those and say, you said this. This is your word. He wants to hear it. He wants to know that you recognize and that you believe that he is good and that he is great. He wants to know when you get in the hard time that you won't criticize him, you won't accuse him, but you'll look with faith and say, I'm in a covenant relationship and I'm expecting your hand. I'm expecting your guidance. I'm expecting your strength. I'm expecting your power. I'm expecting your love. I need you now. I cannot tell you how many times I have arrived at the precipice of perplexity. I have arrived at the place in which I, I, I felt utterly helpless. I felt utterly 
a sense of aimlessness. I, I was brought to a situation in life in which I didn't know, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand why it was happening. And But I will tell you, but I don't remember, maybe I have, but not criticizing God. But I can tell you every time that I have knelt and I have wept and I have said, God, I've been right here in this church. There have been times I've got done with the church service and everybody went home, but I was so perplexed over something. I hung in this altar and I said, dear God, I got to have an answer. I don't know what to do. Something's perplexing me. Something's struggling here and I need some help. Can I tell you, God's got a perfect track record. There had been one time that I've ever gotten up and said, I still don't know what to do. Every time I've got up, every time I felt a release, Glory to the Lamb of God. I'm telling you, he was always there. He lifted me out. I'm living with the King of glory, and he cannot fail. He cannot fail. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. Not one time, not one time has he ever left me hanging. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. Hebrews says your covenant, this covenant we have is built on better promises. He promised Abraham a seed. We've got a Savior. He promised him a land. We've got a Lord. Hallelujah. They were promised to become a great nation. (laughs) We are going to reign as kings. And preached with him. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, their covenant was written in stone. Ours is written in flesh. Glory to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Yes, Abraham got a son. We've got the son. Hallelujah. Abraham, the day would come when Moses will have Mount Sinai. But you and I have Mount Zion. Hallelujah. We've come. They came to a mountain that shook with fear. We have come to an assembly of saints. Oh, yes. They were one people united by one language and united by one skin color. But you and I are not united by our language. We're not united by our race. We're not united by our ethnicity. We're united by the blood and the Holy Ghost of heaven. Oh, you can bring us from the nations afar. Whether we are male or female, whether we're bond or free, we have all been made one in Christ Jesus. We should be the most confident people in the face of the earth. We should be the most joyful. We should be the most hopeful. We should be the most ordered. Woo, glory to God. Yes, sir. We should be the most peaceful. 
We should be the most loving. Yes. Hallelujah. We should be the most temperate. Yes, I'm telling you all of that because our God is perfect. Our God is perfect. He lacks nothing. He won't abandon you. He will not abandon you. You've got to again come to rely on the covenant. You've got to again come to see I am a disciple of the Lord. But more than being in his class, I've entered into covenant with him. I belong to him. He made the sacrifice. And now what I'll do is take my body and present it a living sacrifice unto him, holy and acceptable, which is my reasonable service. 